Welcome to this episode of Free Circle Freedoms. I'm Ed Waters, your host, and this week we dive back into our readings in Visualized American Government, 1964 edition. The chapter we've been reading from covers parties and politics. Our discussion for this episode covers exceptions to general party alignments. Let's not waste time and dive right into this episode of Free Circle Freedoms. Exceptions to General Party Alignments Having stated these general differences, it is necessary to point out exceptions and inconsistencies. The party of Jefferson and Jackson, in spite of its program of broader democracy, was also the party of the feudalistic slaveholding planter aristocracy. The big business interest who were so powerful in the councils of the Republican Party after the Civil War, generally could count on the support of the debt-burdened Middle Western farmers who toiled on the land. History and tradition have as frequently determined a man's vote as principles or immediate interest. The memory of the Civil War and the bitter post-war Reconstruction era was responsible for the tradition of the solid South, solidly Democrat, in state and national politics for more than a half a century, and predominantly Democratic to this day. To somewhat lesser degree, thousands of GAR veterans who had fought under Grant and Sherman voted Republican in election after election out of loyalty to the party which had saved the Union. Finally, it is a truism of the American politics that when Party A is out of power, it tends to oppose the policies of Party B, which is in control of the government. But let Party A win control, and its attitude may and frequently does undergo a complete change. We have already mentioned the fact that our first political parties developed over the question of a federally chartered national bank. Jefferson's Democratic-Republican Party was opposed to the bank in 1792, but by 1816 its attitude had changed. Its members in Congress voted to charter a second United States bank and President Madison one of Jefferson's leading disciples, signed the bill. Perhaps the most striking instance of the reversal of traditional party roles occurred after 1932, when, as a result of the Depression, the Democrats gained control of the presidency and both houses of Congress. Under the impetus of F.D. Roosevelt's New Deal program, the Democrats expanded the functions of the federal government on a scale hereto undreamed of. The opposition of the conservative wing of the Republican Party and of dissident Democrat elements as well came to be based on the doctrine of states' rights and on a strict construction of the Constitution. That is what Visualized American Government 1964 edition has to say about exceptions to the general party alignments. 
We, however, have to expand on this just a little more. For the remainder of our episode, I want to turn our attention over to the house.gov website, where an article covers party realignment and the New Deal. During the New Deal era, FDR advanced the Federalist movement in our government immensely. During this time period, so much changed happened in America, and we really have to look at the realignment of voting in America during this time frame. Let's climb into what this House.gov article has to say about party realignment and the New Deal. The realignment of black voters from the Republican Party to the Democratic Party that begun in the late 1920s proliferated during this era. This process involved a push and pull, the refusal by the Republicans to pursue civil rights alienated many black voters, while efforts shallow though they were by Northern Democrats to open opportunities for African Americans gave black voters reason to switch parties. The 1932 presidential contest between incumbent Republican President Herbert Hoover and Democrat Franklin D. Roosevelt was something of a turning point. During his first term, Hoover and his administration had failed to implement economic policies to help African Americans laid low by the Great Depression. Still, Hoover received between two-thirds and three-quarters of the black vote in northern urban wards. Most black voters sided with Republicans less out of loyalty than because they were loath to support a candidate whose Democratic Party had zealously suppressed their political rights in the South. African Americans mistrusted FDR because of his party affiliation, his evasiveness about race in the campaign, and his choice of a running mate, House Speaker John Nance Garner of Texas. As late as the mid-1930s, African-American Republican John R. Lynch, who had represented Mississippi in the House during and after Reconstruction, summed up the sediments of older black voters and upper-middle-class professionals. Quote, The colored voters cannot help but feel that in voting the Democratic ticket in national elections, they will be voting to give their endorsement and their approval to every wrong which they are victims, every right of which they are deprived and every injustice of which they suffer." Unquote. Illinois's first congressional district provides a window into the process of black political realignment in northern cities. Prior to becoming solidly Democrat in 1934, the South Chicago district elected Republican Oscar DePriest in 1928 1930, and in 1932. Southern African Americans who swelled the city's population during that period gave it the
the second largest urban black population in the country by 1930, encountered an established Republican machine that courted black voters and extended patronage jobs. The party offered these migrants an outlet for political participation that was unimaginable in the Jim Crow South. African Americans voted in droves for machine politicians like William Hell, Big Bill Thompson, who regularly corralled at least 60% of the vote in the majority black second and third wards. Mayor Thompson and the machine promoted black politicians such as DePriest, who in 1915 became the city's first African-American alderman, the equivalent of a city councilman. Black voters remained exceedingly loyal to the Republican ticket. Indeed, the most common political experience African-American members of this era shared was their involvement in politics at the ward and their precinct levels. The Chicago political machines run by Thompson and later Democrats such as Edward J. Kelly and Richard J. Daley sent nearly one-third of the black members of this era to Capitol Hill. Local and regional political machines of the growing African-American urban population recognized the voting power of the growing African-American urban population long before the national parties realized its potential. At the beginning of this era, the relationship between black politicians and the party bosses were strong, and many black members of Congress placed party loyalty above all else. But by the late 1960s, as black politicians began to assemble their own power bases, carving out a measure of independence, they often challenged the machine when party interests conflicted with issues important to the black community. Unlike earlier black members who relied on the established political machines to launch their careers, these members, most of whom had grown up in the cities they represented, managed to forge political bases separate from the dominant party structure by linking familial and communal connections with widespread civic engagement. They routinely clashed with the entrenched political powers. Discontent with the Hoover administration's halting efforts to revive the Depression-era economy also loosened African-American ties to the Republican Party. Nationally, the staggering financial collapse hit black Americans harder than most other groups. Thousands had already lost agricultural jobs in the mid-1920s due to the declining cotton market. Others had lost industrial jobs in the first stages of economic contraction, so black workers nationally were already in the grips of an economic depression before the stock market collapsed in October 1929. By the early 1930s, 38% of African Americans were unemployed, compared to 17% of whites. A Roosevelt administration study found that black Americans 
constitute 20% of everyone on welfare rolls, even though they accounted for just 10% of the total population. In Chicago, one-fourth of welfare recipients were black, although black residents made up just 6% of the city's total population. Some African-American politicians in the early 1930s switched parties to advance their own careers while simultaneously helping their black communities. Arthur Mitchell and William Dawson epitomized a younger cadre of African-Americans who were ambitious and impatient with the entrenched black Republican leadership. Seeking a chance for personal advancement in the concurrent rise of the National Democratic Party. Paid to speak on behalf of Hoover's 1928 presidential campaign, Mitchell encountered the DePriest campaign at a Chicago engagement and shortly thereafter joined DePriest's Second Ward regular Republican organization, hoping to challenge DePriest in the primary election but after evaluating the priest control of the machine, Mitchell switched parties to campaign for Roosevelt in 1932. Two years later, he successfully unseated the priest, even though the incumbent retained the majority of the black vote. Mitchell became the first African American elected to Congress as a Democrat running largely on a platform that tapped into urban black support for the economic relief provided by New Deal programs. Additionally, black voters nationwide began leaving the Republican Party because of the growing perception that local democratic organizations better represented their interests. Local patronage, positions, and nationally administrated emergency relief programs in Depression-era Chicago and other cities proved crucial in attracting African-American support. While the New Deal failed to extend as much economic relief to black Americans as to whites, the tangible assistance they provided conferred a sense that the system was at least addressing a few issues that were important to African Americans. For those who had been marginalized or ignored for so long, even the largely symbolic efforts of the Roosevelt administration inspired hope and renewed interest in the political process. There's always exceptions to general party alignments. Make sure you get involved and you study and educate yourself about politics. And that's why it's always a good idea to join us right here each week for Free Circle Freedoms, which reminds us just how precious our freedoms can be. Make sure you share, like, and subscribe, and join us right here next week for Free Circle Freedoms. I'm Ed Waters, the host. Out.